Good morning or good afternoon, everyone, depending on where you are. Welcome everyone to the LSE for this online public lecture hosted by the Sosi Hok Southeast Asia Center. My name is uh, Professor Hyun Bang Shin, and I'm Center Director of the Southeast Asia Center and Professor of Geography and Urban Studies here at the London School of Economics and Political Science. The, South, uh, the Southeast Asia Center, or SEAC in short, is a multidisciplinary research center which seeks to foster world-leading academic and policy research with a focus on the Southeast Asian social political landscape. SEAC's work is guided by the center's core intersecting research themes of urbanization, connectivity, and governance. You can connect with SEAC's work in a variety of ways, which include our blog that publishes analysis and debate on the region's most pressing issues, and also our newsletter, which provides regular updates on the work and activities of the center. So please visit our center website, www.lse.as.uk forward slash SCAC for more details. If you, if you like the work that SEAC is doing, please consider supporting us to help expand the impact of our activities. Today, I am very pleased to be here to welcome President Masatsugo Asakawa to SEAC and the LSE today. President Asakawa is the uh, president of the Asian Development Bank and is chairperson of ADB's board of directors. And he was elected president by ADB's board of governors and assumed office on 17th of January, 2020. Prior to joining ADB, he served as special advisor to Japan's prime minister and as minister of finance. He has a close to four decades of career at the Ministry of Finance with diverse professional experiences that cut across both domestic and international fronts. President Masakawa will be discussing getting developing Asia back on track as Asia has successfully transitioned from a low-income agrarian region in the 1960s to a global manufacturing powerhouse today, driving growth around the world, it will be important to discuss how Asia has been doing and what the ADB's contribution to Asia's development has been. Also, COVID-19 is threatening to turn back the clock on some of the progress Asia has made. Policymakers in the region are striving to regain and sustain growth momentum. So in this context, President Asakawa will discuss how the Asian Development Bank stands ready to help its developing members towards the path of resilient and sustainable recovery through deeper regional cooperation, inclusive human resource development, green infrastructure, accelerated digitalization, and stronger domestic resource mobilization. Before we start, a couple of housekeeping points. Uh, for those of you who are Twitter users, the hashtag for today's event is LSE Asia. And please be sure to tag us and the center's Twitter handle is LSESCAC. This online event is being recorded and will hopefully be made available as a podcast subject to no technical difficulties. As usual, there will be the chance for you to put your questions to President Nasukawa. To submit your questions, please use the Q&A feature at the bottom of your screen. Questions will be submitted to myself and I pose as many as possible within the time constraint to the speaker. Please let us know your name and affiliations. We are particularly keen to hear from our students, alumni and incoming students. So please let us know as well. 
Now, without further ado, I am delighted to hand over to President Masakawa, uh, uh, sorry, apologies, President Masatsugu Asakawa. <laughs> President Asakawa, the floor is yours. Okay, uh, thank you. <clears throat> thank you so much, uh, Professor Shin, for your uh, kind introduction of myself. Uh, so, you know, my name is Masa Asakawa, uh, Asian Development Bank. Uh, so good uh, morning, good evening to uh, you know, everybody. Uh, welcome to this uh, webinar organized by the uh, LSC London School of Economics and the Political Science, uh, focused on getting developing Asia back on track. It is clear that the COVID-19 pandemic is the main challenge facing the Asian region and the world today. Vaccines now gives us hope that we can gradually turn the tide of the pandemic and rebuild for a strong recovery, but we are not out of the woods yet. We must focus our efforts now so that the recovery can be lasting and available to all, including the poorest and the most vulnerable in our societies. Today, I will, I will present the short-term economic outlook for developing Asia and describe ADB's continuing support to our members during this time of crisis. So I hope I, I can share my slides with you. So slide number two, page number two, please. Yes, <clears throat> first, uh, let me provide a brief overview of the Asian Development Bank. I, I, I don't know uh, how you are familiar with our bank. So briefly, ADB was uh, founded in uh, 1966 and has served as Asia and the Pacific's uh, leading regional development bank. From 31 members at its establishment in 1966, ADB has grown uh, as of today to encompass 68 members, of which 49 are from within Asia and Pacific from our region and 19 outside the region, including UK. Headquarters in Manila, ADB provides strong and reliable finance uh, to our developing members, practical knowledge solutions, and partnerships among a wide range of stakeholders. Uh, for your information, the UK um, accounts for 2.04% of total shares, making it the 14th largest contributor. Among our 1,317 international staff, 87 are from the UK. Uh, slide number three, please. <clears throat> okay, so this map shows our 49 regional members. Those in orange are advanced economies and or graduate economy uh, developing members, starting with Japan, Korea, Taipei, China, Hong Kong, China, uh, Brunei, Singapore, New Zealand, Australia. As uh, you can see, Taipei China, as we say at ADB, is our member. And thus, uh, this makes ADB one of the very few international institutions of which both mainland China and Taipei China are members. Unless I'm wrong, I, I remember you know, APIC uh, is another forum who has both PRC and Taipei China. Uh, but as you know, uh, uh, APIC has no secretariat. 
So those countries, oranges, are the countries uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, which uh, who uh, don't borrow from ADB anymore, although they are located within our region. All right, ADB is a multilateral institution governed by all of our members within our region. We provide support to our developed member countries through loans uh, from our OCR, which stands for uh, Ordinary Capital Resources, and grants through our ADF, uh, Asian Development Fund, which is another separate windows to uh, provide grants money and technical assistance. We also support their policy development and promote uh, cooperation and friendship uh, among governments the private sector and civil society as well. Our regional members that are advanced economies or have graduated from developing member status, uh, they don't borrow from us anymore, but they do play a vital role in further strengthening and coordinating our efforts as to our 19 non-regional member countries, including the UK. Okay, slide number four, please. Um, as the uh, COVID-19 pandemic continue to unfold, its enormous economic and social impact is becoming clearer. Preliminary data show that the region experienced its first contraction, first contraction in six decades uh, last year. Uh, more concretely, developing Asia's GDP contracted uh, in 2020 by 0.2%, as is shown on this table. Uh, this is a substantial decline from 5.0 growth in uh, 2019. However, growth is forecast to rebound to 6.8% in 2021. So it look, looks like V-shape uh, recovery, but uh, we would not call it V-shape recovery. Why? Because uh, the forecast uh, of 6.8% for this year uh, uh, mainly reflects the fact that you know, last year's growth rate was so low. So it's called bottom effect. Last year's was so low, so this year's uh, expected to be a, you know, a little bit high. And if you look at the uh, right-hand side of this table, you know, this shows you a real GDP level, not growth rate, but level uh, in developing Asia. And uh, uh, this uh, well graph shows you that that the 2021 uh, it will not return to the pre-COVID trend, so that's why we would not call it V-shaped, uh, you know, recovery, but rather uh, it looks like a U-shaped recovery. Okay, so having said that, uh, a prolonged pandemic still poses uh, the main risk to the economic outlook, but as I mentioned earlier recent uh, vaccine developments and rollout are reducing this risk. The next base, please, uh, slide five. The Asia-Pacific region is extremely diverse, encompassing countries with very different income levels and stages of development. As a result, uh, the regional figures mask differences in COVID-19's impact across countries. Growth is expected to rebound this year, as I mentioned, uh, due to base effect and assuming continued progress in containing COVID-19. Uh, commodity exporters 
like uh, Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Mongolia, Papua New Guinea, that were hit by lower demand and prices last year, uh, will benefit this year uh, from recovery in commodity markets. But prospects for tourism-dependent countries like Maldives and Fiji and Thailand, some degree, are subdued as the recovery from corrupts in global tourism will be very slow. Uh, next slide, please, slide number six. Okay, uh, turning briefly to the region's largest economy, uh, the PRC. A PRC contracted in the first quarter of 2020, as is shown uh, in the uh, left-hand side of this table, uh, it's contracted by 6.8%. Uh, uh, in the first quarter of 2020, when COVID-19 emerged. But the economic activity returned very quickly. Uh, this uh, uh, table shows you that in the second quarter, uh, they achieved a positive growth rate of 3.2%, third quarter, 4.9%, and fourth quarter, 6.5%. Uh, so PLC's growth for the entire uh, 2020 uh, was 2.3% and is expected to expand by 7.7% uh, this year, 2021. That's good. We are really encouraged to, to, to know that. Uh, but the, from 2022 onwards, uh, I, I'd like to highlight uh, one thing that as a PLC will return to the moderating growth trend seen pre-COVID era as is shown in the left-hand side, once again, uh, of this uh, uh, table. Uh, as uh, this table shows you, tells you, uh, 2014, uh, PLC enjoyed uh, as high uh, economic growth rate uh, as 7.4%, but it, it's kept on declining to 7.0, 6.8, 6.9, 6.7, and 6.0 in 2019. Okay, uh, so once again, uh, from 2022 onwards, I, I am of a view that PLC will return to the moderating growth trend uh, like before. Uh, the pace of Chinese economic growth has been slowing down year by year. I believe PLC policymakers need to strike a balance uh, between achieving sufficient growth and tackling structural issues, uh, uh, such as turning the major sources of growth from export and investment to domestic consumption, reducing fiscal and financial risks, addressing aging. Actually, the pace of aging in PLC is even quicker than Japan and South Korea, and making growth greener and more inclusive. Uh, next page, please, page seven. Uh, earlier this month, uh, as you, you may know it, uh, the 14th five-year plan, which covers uh, from 2021 to 2025, uh, was approved as a National People's Congress in PRC. This is bound uh, to be one of the most transformational plans since the founding of the PRC, as it departs uh, from the emphasis on economic growth and restructuring that was characteristic of past plans uh, to focus on the sustainability of growth and uh, the quality of life. Actually, this uh, five years plan didn't include the GDP growth target 
over the next five years. To this end, uh, this uh, 14th five years plan outlines renewed efforts to close the rural urban income divide, promote innovation, and move faster towards low carbon development. Uh, please look at the, you know, the fourth bullet on this slide, which says domestic market development. Development of the domestic market as priority boosting consumption. Uh, so which clearly means uh, that uh, uh, so far, uh, China really enjoyed a very, very you know, high growth rate, uh, mainly depending on investment. It, it, was, it has been really investment-led uh, growth uh, model. Uh, but now, you know, Chinese authorities clearly recognize the need uh, to shift from uh, investment-led growth model to consumption-led uh, growth model, uh, which we call it rebalancing of the economy, economic structure. Uh, the fact that they heavily relied on investment uh, to achieve high economic growth so far, uh, uh, you know, it has resulted in one thing. Uh, because investment is one element of domestic you know, demand, of course, but at the same time, if you do investment, you know, that produces uh, some goods, right? And uh, simply because it was heavily you know, dependent on investments uh, you know, for decades, uh, as of now, uh, China has been suffering from a huge, huge excess production capacity. Uh, like in the, in, the, in the coal production, like in the steel production and so on. So that's a huge uh, you know, excess production capacity need to be rationalized over years. That's one thing, uh, which is a challenging uh, for uh, Chinese uh, macroeconomic policy. And another, another you know, challenge is, uh, another challenge uh, China is facing is that in order to people to consume more instead of saving, save more, what is needed is among others, you know, to uh, uh, establish a very reliable uh, social safety net, like medical insurance and pension scheme. If people feel there's not, that there is no sufficient uh, pension scheme or uh, medical insurance, they need to save because they worry about uh, you know, uh, their lifetime uh, welfare. So in order to you know, encourage people to you know, consume more, uh, and more and more you know, reliable uh, social safety net system need to be established and introduced in China. All right, having said that, uh, just last week, ADB generally um, endorsed a so-called New Country Partnership Strategy, CPS, uh, for the PRC, which covers uh, the same period, uh, the years uh, from 2021 to 2025. Our CPS is aligned with the main priorities of the 14th five-year plan and supports environmentally sustainable uh, development, adaptation to an adaptation and mitigation of climate change, as well as the challenges of health security and an aging society. Given that uh, these areas of partnership will also contribute to regional and global goods, the PRC's development strategies and plans, uh, plans for the coming years foretell a more inclusive and sustainable future for the country, the region, and the rest of the world. Okay, uh, those are you know, uh, what I wanted to uh, say about PRC. Uh, slide eight, next, next slide, please. Uh, moving on to Southeast Asia, uh, departing from PRC, 
a number of economies, including Indonesia, Malaysia, and the Philippines, have grappled, grappled uh, with domestic COVID-19 outbreaks. Containment measures in these countries resulted in large declines of people's mobility, uh, particularly in the second uh, quarter of 2020, as is shown in the left-hand side chart of this uh, page, which led uh, to sharp contraction last year. Uh, growth is expected to rebound this year due to base effects and assuming a continued progress in containing uh, COVID-19, as is shown in the right-hand uh, chart. Uh, slide nine, please. <clears throat> ADB also uh, recently calculated the losses, losses uh, from COVID-19 relative to a uh, no COVID scenario. We conducted this analysis factoring in uh, a couple of things. First, decline, declines in domestic demand and tourism. And second, global spillovers. That refers to actually uh, the effect of weaker demand on other sectors and econ economies through trade and production linkages. Uh, this uh, calculation is as of December last year. For de de developing Asia, uh, pandemic-related losses in 2020 are estimated at $1.4 to $2.2 trillion, or 6.0% to 9.5% of regional GDP. South Asia experienced deeper uh, losses relative to other Asian uh, subregions, in large part uh, due to the prolonged lockdown in India. But the hardest hit economies are small tourism dependent countries, as is shown in this chart. Okay, next slide, please. Let me now turn to how ADB has responded uh, to this very serious COVID 19 crisis. ADB announced a $20 billion support package in April last year, 2020. By the end of 2020, uh, we had committed $16.3 billion out of this package in the form of grants, technical assistance, and loans to developing member governments and private sector. Uh, I would say, you know, uh, during the month of uh, February to March last year, we uh, received a lot of requests from our DMCs, developing member countries, uh, asking for, you know, uh, grant money from ADB for them to purchase necessary medical supplies like masks, ventilators, PPEs, and testing kits and so on. Uh, from April last year, then we started to receive another type of request uh, from our DMCs asking for uh, you know, a loan from ADB for their budget financing. Budget financing. So a major form of ADB support uh, is aimed at addressing the tremendous shortfalls in the fiscal revenues governments are facing due to lockdowns and other pandemic containment measures. While uh, tax revenues are declining, uh, they started to expand their fiscal uh, expenses uh, to do a couple of things. First, to enhance uh, their health sector. Second, to provide a social protection program to uh, the poor and vulnerable. And third, thirdly, to support uh, the hardest hit industries uh, like tourism, uh, retail industries, and so on. Okay, 
So tax revenue are declining while tax uh, well uh, fiscal expenditure are expanding. So to help uh, uh, fill uh, those budget gaps, uh, we introduced a new instrument called uh, COVID-19 uh, Pandemic Response Option or CIPRO, CPRO, CIPRO, which has provided much needed uh, quick dispersed uh, budget support until economies can get back on their feet. Our CIPRO financing is supporting policy measures that facilitate uh, targeted aid and uh, to households and firms most severe, severely affected by the pandemic, among other key priorities. Our, our CIPRO commitment in 2020 totaled $10.2 billion to 26 countries, as is shown on the upper, upper you know, half of this slide. As I noted earlier, Developing Asia has experienced a wide range of impacts from the pandemic. ADB's long and trusted presence uh, in the region has enabled us to respond to the specific challenges in each of our developing member countries so quickly. So this also includes our support for the private sector through direct lending uh, to private companies, our supply chain and trade finance program, and our microfinance uh, guarantee program, as is shown in the lower uh, right-hand side of this uh, page. Um, we are also able to coordinate and uh, mobilize additional resources uh, through our close cooperation uh, with development, development partners. So far, uh, we have secured more than 10.9 billion in co-financing for the pandemic response. Especially, I'd like to draw your attention that uh, you know, AIIB also uh, provided uh, co-financing with us uh, for budget financing. And uh, so far, uh, AIIB uh, provided uh, $3.9 billion in total uh, with our CIPRO, uh, co-financing with our CIPRO for eight countries. Okay, next uh, page, please. Page 11. Let me, let me now turn uh, to another measures that is absolutely necessary uh, for our region to overcome the pandemic, uh, swift and equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines. vaccines. ADB will play a major role in the global vaccination efforts through our new uh, Asia-Pacific Vaccine Access Facility. We call it APVAX, uh, which was approved December last year. So quite new uh, fa uh, facility for vaccine financing. Uh, this $9 billion uh, facility, uh, $9 billion facility uh, will complement and reinforce the efforts of our development partners across the world. We, we will focus our efforts on supporting ADB's developing member governments as they procure and distribute safe and effective vaccines to their populations in a very fair and equitable manner. Our facility has two components, uh, as is shown in this uh, slide, a rapid response component for procurement of vaccines, and another component is project investment component for investing in systems and capacity for vaccine distribution. Uh, as you may know, it, some vaccines like Pfizer uh, needs to be stored uh, under, with under you know, uh, minus uh, 70 degrees centigrade, uh, which requires a huge, huge investment. Uh, so our investment component uh, will take care of that. So the safety and uh, uh, effectiveness of vaccine is a fundamental priority. ADB financing under AB-BACs will be used only for vaccines that meet 
uh, strict criteria. As indicated in this slide, uh, vaccines uh, need to be procured by COVAX or pre-qualified -pre by WHO or authorized by stringent uh, regulatory authorities to be eligible for APVAX financing. On 11 uh, March, the Philippines become, became the very first recipient of our financing support under APVAX with approval of a 400 million loan. In addition to the Philippines, we have to date received requests to access APVAX from many countries in our region, including Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Bhutan, Cambodia, India, uh, Indonesia, Maldives, Mongolia, Nepal, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Tajikistan, and the four Pacific Island economies of Samoa, Tonga, Tuvalu, and Vanuatu. To ensure uh, the effectiveness of APVAX, as well as to inform other vaccination efforts, ADB will provide technical assistance for needs assessments, policy advice, capacity building, and implementation support. ADB will also support the private sector, including through trade and supply chain finance, and with support for stretch, logistics, and distribution of vaccines. Uh, next page, please, page 12. ADB's support to our developing members in 2020 was not limited uh, to COVID-19-related emergency response. Uh, we continued uh, to help our developing members address their long-term development needs, such as tackling the impact of climate change, um, building high-quality infrastructure, and strengthening education. This led to a record high figure of annual commitment in 2020 last year, totaling 31.6 billion US dollars, as is shown in this slide, uh, in, term, in the form of loans, grants, equity investments, guarantees, and technical assistance, both to the governments and to the public sector. Uh, from 2021 onward, we expect our lending volume to gradually return to the pre-crisis level so that ADB can strike a better balance uh, between responding to our clients' needs and ensuring ADB's long-term financial sustainability. Uh, so that's the inputs. Yes. Now let me highlight five areas that I do believe are very important for our develop developing members to achieve a strong, inclusive, and sustainable recovery. First, we need to deepen regional cooperation and integration so that our developing member countries can seize the opportunity of renewed globalization. Uh, here, regional cooperation and integration efforts should be really open, one, uh, to complement uh, globalization. ADB is doing this by helping our developing member members enhance regional trade and investment, diversify supply chains, and strengthen regional health security. Second, we have to address inequality, including gender inequality, which has worsened due to the pandemic. We will focus on investment in human capital, as well as social protection. Uh, invest, investment in human capital means investment in such sectors as health and education. These investments will also help restore earnings, remittances, and consumption across economies. Third, uh, we will promote uh, green infrastructure as economies rebuild. 
these investments can boost economic activity and generate jobs, while also strengthening our climate resilience and mitigating the impact of climate change. Despite the challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic, ADB remains committed to deliver 80 billion uh, US dollars in climate finance cumulatively between 2019 and 2030. I will give a bit more detail on this in the next slide. Fourth, we will help to harness the benefits of digitalization. The pandemic accelerated the transition to the digital economy. To capitalize on this, Asia must enhance this digital infrastructure, close the digital divide, and safeguard cybersecurity. And last but not least, we must strengthen domestic resource mobilization, DRM. The pandemic underscored the need for adequate and sustainable tax revenues. Government must close potential uh, tax loopholes, including those arising from the digitalization of the economy, and they must implement other reforms to better tap the domestic resources needed for sustainable growth, effective response to future crises, and achievement of the SDGs. To support these efforts, ADM announced a new regional hub for domestic resource mobilization and international tax cooperation last September. Okay, uh, next slide, please. The last slide. Let me close my presentation by touching upon the important agenda of climate change. In 2015, ADB made a commitment uh, to double climate financing from its own resources to $6 billion annually by 2020. Uh, this was the first of such announcements amongst the MDBs, uh, multilateral development banks, in the lead up to the historic United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP21, held in Paris. Out of the $6 billion, $4 billion was to be uh, dedicated to mitigation uh, through uh, scaling up support for renewable energy, energy efficiency, sustainable transport, and building start smart cities. And remaining $2 billion was to be for adaptation uh, through more resilient infrastructure, climate smart agriculture, and better preparation for climate related disasters. ADB achieved this target in 2019, one year ahead of our target date. And now, as I mentioned earlier, ADB is targeting to deliver uh, 80 billion US dollars of cumulative uh, climate finance from 2019 to 2030. If you divide 80 billion US dollars by 12 years, it uh, will come up with uh, 6.7 billion dollars uh, per year on average. Actually, in 2020, ADB committed 4.3 billion, uh, 3.5 billion uh, for mitigation and uh, 0 0.5. 0.8 billion for adaptation, as is shown uh, uh, in this chart on this uh, on the space. An additional 730 million was mobilized uh, from external resources. In 2021, we expect to commit, uh, you know, uh, 6.6 billion dollars, uh, of which 5.4 billion for mitigation, 1.2 billion for adaptation for climate finance, and afterwards we we will do our best try our best to maintain that momentum to achieve 80 billion uh, by uh, 2030. 
Uh, okay. Uh, sorry. R last slide, please. Uh, slide uh, number uh, fifteen. I understand the UK as a COP26 presidency identified five thematic priorities: adaptation and resilience, nature, energy transition, accelerating the move to zero carbon road transport, and finance. ADB initiatives are mapping well with these priorities. First. Uh, this year, ADB is piloting the methodology and developing implementation guidelines to enable its operations, our operations, to align with the goals of the Paris Agreement in terms of adaptation and mitigation. This is a joint MDB initiative. And second, ADB's approach is holistic. In addition to climate-proofing fiscal infrastructure, ecological, social, and institutional and financial aspects of resilience will be integrated in ADB investment. And also, at the same time, we are trying to scale up our portfolio for adaptation and resilience. And thirdly, green resilient and inclusive recovery from COVID-19 is a key operational area of ADB's planning directions for this year, 2021, mainstreaming climate and disaster resilience into its support for sectors and themes that have suffered in the current pandemic. And finally, but not least, ADB is supporting dialogues at global, regional, sub-regional levels, including an event at its forthcoming annual meeting on raising the bar on climate ambition, Road to COP26. It's planned in May. Uh, particularly, ADB is currently uh, the lead coordinator of the MDB's working group on climate, climate change for presenting Paris alignment updates at COP26. Okay, uh, let me stop here. Uh, thank you very much for your attention. Thank you so much, uh, President Nasakawa, for your presentation. I think it's, it gives us, us very uh, a good understanding of uh, where ADB stands and where ADB is moving to. Uh, before picking up a few questions uh, uh, from the audience, uh, let me give you a, a couple of questions uh, that might... Mm, sure expand the understanding of the audience about the ADB and especially mm. its operation um, uh, in the coming period. So given that the COVID-19 pandemic has revealed you know, both new and old challenges to regional connectivity, especially in terms of infrastructure connection and mobility of people, how does the ADB anticipate its changes to the existing lending policies to support the regional development? So that's one question. Mm. The second one is about the trade, uh, kind of broader uh, uh, political economic context of trade and economic cooperation. So what, uh, given the ongoing development uh, involving the, uh, the rise of Asian infrastructure investment bank, and also uh, the uh, ongoing discussions for the formation of Trans-Pacific Partnership, mm. uh, what will be uh, the ADB's plan to engage with the emergence of these uh, new uh, global institutions? Mm. Those are the two questions, perhaps as a start. And uh, we appreciate if you can, uh, given the time constraint, and I respond to these uh, uh, in a concise way so that we can pick up a few questions from the audience as well. 
All right. Uh, so, thank you very much for those two questions, uh, Professor Shane. Uh, big, big, big questions. And uh, of course, I think your first question, you know, uh, uh, regional connectivity, infrastructure, and mobility of people, and so on. You know, a couple of points I'd like to mention. One is uh, it will be critical to restore strong trade, uh, deep uh, regional supply chains, and uh, vibrant investment, uh, which having a major driving force behind the region's rapid growth, obviously. Uh, despite border closures and travel restrictions, I do believe uh, that the economies will reopen and reconnect soon. Uh, globalization will come back. Uh, building on this renewed co commitment, we must ensure uh, that the benefit reach low income, land or sea locked countries, small businesses, and the poor and the vulnerable. To do this, ADB has ramped up its trade and supply chain finance program. As I mentioned before, to date, these programs mobilized $5.8 billion and helped many SMEs uh, to participate in global trade and supply chains. You know, so, so trade and supply chain can be easily disrupted uh, due to the insufficient you know, financing, uh, especially during this period of disruption caused by the pandemic. Second, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has also increased uh, the importance of internet access, internet access uh, for daily activities like education, health, remote work, shopping, and entertainment. And this is thus imperative uh, to ensure equitable access to technology within and between countries. As digitalization has become an integral part of uh, longer-term economic recovery, we must explore opportunities to boost economic recovery through digital innovation, foster an environment for technology adapted, adop, adoption, adoption and leverage technology for healthcare and remote learning. Thirdly, uh, we also need stronger regional cooperation to build resilience, especially against health security risks. Cooperation is essential to improve overall regional health security by strengthening health systems improving coordination among national regulators and surveillance agencies, and ensuring real-time monitoring and exchange of information. On emerging outbreaks, ADB's ongoing Greater Mekong Sub-Regional Health Security Project has helped improve regional cooperation and communicable disease control in border areas and strengthened disease surveillance and outbreak response systems of GMS countries. And finally, uh, you talked. You asked about you know uh, fiscal infrastructure. Yes, uh, there has been still you know huge gap in you know demand and supply in infrastructure financing. So we need to do address that. But at the same time, not only filling the gap in terms of volume, but we need to think that you know any fiscal infrastructure in our region should be of high quality, right? And high quality infrastructure means. A couple of things. First, uh, not only you know initial cost, but life life cycle cost, including operational cost and uh, maintenance cost, uh, should be reasonable. And high quality infrastructure should be environmental, environmentally uh, friendly, and also disaster proof. And also, uh, it should promote transfer of technologies uh, to recipient countries. And most importantly, you know. Debt sustainability of that country need to be taken into account in, when providing you know, additional uh, you know, infrastructure financing. Uh, those are the kind of uh, uh, definitions or principles agreed by G20 countries uh, in uh, 2019. Uh, so those in you know, principle, I, I'd like to you know, integrate into ADB's operations as well.
Uh, concerning your second question about the uh, uh, trade issue, uh, yes, uh, South uh, East Asian countries have always uh, retained an outward looking focus and uh, benefited uh, significantly from incre increased open trade and investment environment. Uh, more recently, uh, we have seen companies relocating their productions to Southeast Asian countries as part of the efforts to make their supply chain more diversified, right? Uh, talking of uh, TPP, uh, which you mentioned, uh, which is known as TPP-11 now, uh, because you know, US uh, decided to withdraw, uh, that's the CPTPP uh, also creates trade and investment opportunity for several uh, Southeast Asian countries uh, that are already members, including Brunei, Malaysia, Singapore, and Vietnam. Uh, the 11 signatories have combined economies representing 13.4% of the global gross domestic, domestic product at approximately 13.5 uh, 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 trillion US dollars, making the CPTPP one of the world's largest free trade areas. If other SEA countries, Southeast Asian countries, as well as the UK, uh, by the way, UK applied, officially applied for membership on February 1st of this year, and the USA, you know, uh, uh, would join in the future, it would represent huge opportunities for the whole uh, Southeast uh, Asian region. And finally, about AIB. Uh, let me mention that ADB is closely you know, collaborating, working with our developing partners, including AIB, uh, to develop uh, the SEA region. Actually, with the COVID-19 pandemic, we are glad uh, that the AIB expanded the forms of modalities cooperation with ADB uh, to support two new ADB initiatives. One is CIPRO and another one is APPAX. And as I, as I told you, AIIB already provided a total of 3.9 billion US dollars uh, in co-financing with our CIPLO uh, for eight countries. And for Philippines, uh, we decided to provide 400 million, whereas AIIB uh, decided to co-finance with us with the amount of 300 million. Uh, so that's uh, very close in you know, collaboration are taking place. Mm. Well, thank you so much. Uh, now we'll pick up a few questions from the uh, audience. And uh, I think there are uh, perhaps three short but uh, in related questions, which I, I guess I can bundle together. So mm. one question is from, um, and this has received the, the highest number of votes in the, among the audience. Petra mm -hmm. Kriel, apologies for uh, pronunciation here, from Recourse, saying uh, climate change is another urgent challenge. And ADB is currently leading the MDB working group, which I believe uh, is referring to multinational, uh, multilateral development banks working group on Paris alignment. Mm. While it is also updating its own energy policy and the energy mm. policy and investment choices ADB makes will have impact for decades to come. And civil society is calling for it to go fossil free. So the question here is, could you please share the latest timeline for the review and what your priorities are for the revised policy to ensure ADB is truly Paris aligned, stopping funding all fossil fuels and increasing investment in clean and sustainable renewable energy and energy access for all? So that's one question asking for mm -hmm. ADB future uh, plans. There's also a related uh, two short questions, which I would love to, uh, love to uh, uh, bring to your attention. Um, Queen Lebo, who is an LSE alumna, um, 
is asking, ADB's adaptation finance uh, is still lagging significantly behind its adaptation mm. finance. Mm. What concrete steps is ADB taking to scale up its adaptation finance? Mm. And another related question here, uh, uh, I hope this is okay to, uh, 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 to include. Um, it's a question from uh, Ang Zhao, who is an alumnus uh, from LLSE in 2000, having graduated in 2008. How will ADB balance the mission between development-oriented funding and its engagement with climate mitigation, particularly when there are big investments in coal mining and coal power in the region? So I, I think these are all questions around the climate adaptation and mitigation responses by the ADB mm. uh, in thinking about the, uh, the climate change and related tasks. Please, President Askawa. Okay, uh, thank you, Professor Shin. I am very, very impressed uh, by the fact that, you know, those audiences are quite familiar with ADP operations and, and questions are quite relevant. Uh, and all of them are concerning our climate change, you know, uh, you know operations. Uh, maybe the first question and third question are closely related to each other. Uh, you know, energy policy uh, in uh, where, uh, how uh, are we going to deal with, you know, you know, our financing for you know, coal, mine, uh, coal, uh, coal uh, so on. So let me tell you, you know, that our energy policy, uh, our current energy policy is quite outdated, uh, which was introduced uh, as old as 2009. Uh, so we are trying to, you know, revise it uh, right now. Uh, including the discussion how we, we, we would deal with, you know, coal financing and also, you know, gas financing and so on. Oh, by the way, uh, please, please take note that uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we never provided our financing for coal, coal uh, you know, uh, since 2013. 2013 was the last year. Uh, so de facto we stopped, we suspended. Uh, but the still policy is there uh, to, you know, uh, allow uh, for, you know, coal mining whenever appropriate. So we are now reviewing it. We are reviewing and updating our energy policy in line with our strategy 2030 and the global commitment to the Paris Agreement, as you mentioned. So uh, consultation on the new policy are uh, currently underway including with our member countries, you know, including uh, you know, UK, uh, European countries, Japan, US, Australia, and DMCs, right? And also developing partners and civil society organizations. And uh, we are planning to do, uh, conduct so-called public uh, consultation uh, this summer about the draft uh, energy policy. And uh, we hope to have the new uh, policy approved by the end of this year. The end of this year, okay. Uh, we will continue. Uh, and, uh, uh, during that period, we will continue to support our development member countries to reduce their dependence on uh, fossil fuels by setting standards and requirements, such as minimum efficiency levels, emission intensities, uh, while introducing new low carbon and climate resilient technologies such as renewable with stretch, smart grids, as well as, as well as carbon capture. About the adaptation portfolio, yes, uh, uh, the audience uh, is quite like that, uh, you, know, uh, you know, there's a need for ADB's climate adaptation portfolio to be scaled up. And we are taking necessary steps to take a holistic approach 
to adaptation and resi resi resilience, uh, factoring in uh, not only physical, but also ecological, social, and institutional, and financial aspects of resilience. And these new directions are supported through the ADF-13 semantic window. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, ADF operation or not, but uh, you know, ADF-13 uh, replacement was completed last year. And we you know, established the semantic window on climate and disaster resilience and also through ADB's climate change fund. Uh, uh, okay, those are the you know, things uh, we are trying to do. Uh, so I hope uh, as the audience said, you know, there's a little bit unbalanced between our you know, portfolio about adaptation and our portfolio on mitigation. So I hope uh, uh, a little bit you know, and, uh, realign uh, those balance uh, in, in the portfolio. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think we can, we have uh, uh, time to pick up uh, perhaps two more questions or maybe three. Mm. Um, another question is uh, still related to climate change. And this is mm. from um, uh, Miriam Azrin, um, who is from Global Alliance for Incinerator Alternatives. Mm. So ADB is huge. Uh, is a, ADB is a huge source for financing for recovery plans, but we are wor worried that these loans are dispersed without application of safeguards, information disclosure requirement. Uh, oh, sorry, information disclosure requirement and public disclo uh, dis disclosure. We have monitored uh, several emergency assistance, which include widely contested incinerations, hmm. and or waste to energy incineration project approved during the pandemic without public consultations. So the question is, how can you ensure that the safeguards are applied and its investments are climate aligned even during the pandemic, especially because these huge loans will affect member countries' abilities to recover better from the pandemic? So this is one question. Um, mm. Perhaps, uh, a question from a different perspective will be um, uh, one coming from Rita Nanjia, who is an LSE alumnus and also ADB alumnus. Oh. <laughs> one of the important post-COVID challenges facing the developing Asia is job losses during 2020. Mm. How is ADB emphasizing job creation? in moving forward to ensure that growth produces adequate employment opportunities. So point mm. you, uh, we uh, consider these two questions and I guess uh, they will give us enough time before the end of our session today. Okay, thank you, Professor Ashe. Uh, about the first question, you know, uh, safeguard. Yes, we do have you know separate safeguard policies, uh, but uh, also uh, as is the case with the energy policy, uh, it's time for us to renew it. Uh, so we are also working on a revision of our safeguard policy, which includes you know public disclosure requirement and so on. Uh, so right now uh, we try to abide by uh, our own safeguard policy, you know, as much as possible, uh, but. Uh, you know, simply because this safeguard policy is also very opposite to one, uh, so we uh, expect uh, that renewed safeguard policy uh, will be you know established, uh, introduced as quick as possible to promote more public disc disclosure of our you know uh, data, statistics, figures, and so on. Uh, but the one thing I'd like to highlight is you know that. Our, 
we are trying to you know, uh, you know, align our operations to Paris Agreement. It's, a, it's called alignment with Paris Agreement and uh, ADB, uh, sorry, uh, MDB's methodologies uh, to that uh, you know, uh, uh, end has been already agreed. So ADB has committed jointly with other MDBs uh, to align our operations with the Paris Agreement as much as possible by utilizing uh, this methodology. Actually, we road tested, road tested uh, this methodology last year, and this year we are going to pilot uh, this methodology and develop, develop uh, implementation guidelines to enable the operations to uh, move in this direction. And it's also uh, actively uh, engaged on this initiative, as I mentioned, through chairing of the MDB working group on climate. Uh, so we, we are trying our best, you know, uh, to that end. Uh, second question. Yes, uh, job losses after post-COVID challenges. You know, there are many, many uncertainties about this uh, crisis, but the one thing which is quite certain, regrettably, is that as a result of this uh, crisis, inevitably uh, the you know, income inequality situation would get worsened. And uh, absolute poverty situation will get worsened. So we need to address this. You know, quite urgently, and uh, you know, as I mentioned to you, you know, many many countries, you know, already started uh, to address uh, these issues by expanding their social protection, uh, you know, uh, programs, uh, including, for example, non-conditional cash transfer to poor and vulnerable who lost jobs and so on. Yes, those uh, fiscal uh, uh, fiscal measures are very much needed uh, from short-term you know, perspective, but from medium to long-term perspective. What is also needed is to secure high-quality job for them, for them to for let them to participate in the recovery process, in the development process, in the growth process, right? And in order to do so, what is very very much needed is more and more investment in human beings, soft infrastructure. Uh, like in the sector of education and health, and we have been, you know, uh, you know, uh, conducting, you know, ADB has conducted, uh, of course, our operation in those uh, areas. But uh, you know, uh, from this year, I, I'd like to see a more expanded operation in those two areas, education and health, uh, to secure a good quality jobs for 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 the people. Thank you so much again. Well, I guess that's it for today. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us in this wonderful public lecture given by President Asakawa from ADB. It's been a great pleasure to have the opportunity to listen from you and also to hear the, uh, the questions from the audience. Uh, there are many more questions that we, we see um, in the Q&A feature. Uh, we we'll, uh, uh, put them together uh, so that these can be brought to the attention of ADB. So we share the, uh, the, uh, the questions, questions we are not able to address with the ADB and with President Asakawa so that uh, ADB and President Asakawa have a chance to uh, uh, look at these questions. At oh yeah, please, please, uh, send those questions to me. I'm more than glad to look at those. Before we finish, uh, a brief reminder here from us, uh, SEAC, uh, about our uh, two uh, forthcoming events. On Wednesday, 24th of March, SEAC is hosting another seminar uh, to be chaired by Professor John Seidel. And we are going to uh, invite two early career researchers, Dr. Michael Intal Makamit from Queen Mary University of London and Dr. Hong Xian Lin uh, from National University of Singapore who will be presenting their latest research project on political economy and 
religious politics in the region of Southeast Asia. We also have our final event of this term who, uh, featuring Dr. Tamaki Endo, who is SEAC's visiting senior fellow and currently an associate professor at Saitama University in Japan. And she'll be discussing her paper, which analyzes the recent complex dynamics of exclusion and inclusion of informality of the city of Bangkok in Thailand. So I think that's it. So thanks very much again to our speaker, President Asakawa, and to all mm -hmm. of you in the audience for joining us today. We look forward to welcoming you back to LSE and SEAC. <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you very much. <laughs>